0: I've been traveling for work in the beginning of the summer and then spending some time with my new boyfriend, Benjamin, who is Canadian. So we were exploring the West Coast of Canada. And uh, I got a text message from my neighbor saying, there's this postcard, this random postcard. And she's like, we're looking at it and it seems like it could be something really important, but it's also really strange. Um, And it was indeed very strange So I returned to New York City at the end of that summer, maybe August, and grabbed the massive stack of mail from my neighbors. And mixed in with all of the other things like bills, bank statements, and loads of junk mail is this bright vintage postcard. It was faded and a little bit tattered on the side and a little bit water-damaged, The image on the front is sort of a polka dot cornflower blue background, and then just says, Greetings from Coney Island, New York. It's this amazing sort of retro font. And then little snapshots in each letter, the quintessential images of Coney Island like a lovely pinup babe coming out of the sea and the roller coaster scaffolding and iconic New York City buildings and the long stretch of beach. So I flipped the postcard over and handwritten in script in very well-penned, beautiful ink, it says, Dearest Rachel, it's winter now, but I found myself with no plans today. So we'll I took the, the subway to Coney Island. Remember,
1: Remember that, that day, day, Luna Park, Luna Park Steeplechase. Chase. We splurged and went to Feltman's. Today I only had a nickel, so it was Nathan's for me. It's pretty lonely out here. And cold. Just how I feel without you. We'll ever see you again. I don't know if you'll ever get this card, but I feel compelled to write If only to say say I I miss miss you so. So.
0: Love always. Love always. M. M. Uppercase M. It's made out to me, Miss Rachel Prince, but I had no idea who it was from. And the date on it was January 15th, 1938.
2: From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love and Radio, I'm Nick Vander Kolk. Today's episode Greetings from Coney Island, featuring Rachel Prince and Gita Arbor.
0: I remember flipping it over really quickly in my hand and testing the sort of pliability in the cardstock. Is it legit? I was examining for inkjet, but actually couldn't tell. I was like, nope, this is a real postcard that someone found in a box somewhere. Is it a Rachel Prince that was alive 50 years ago? Or maybe it was my great-grandmother who I actually share my name with? My great-grandmother, Rachel, was from Minsk. And she traveled over to New York either with her husband, Elias, or maybe... They met in the Lower East Side. Beyond that, I don't know anything about it. I've seen a few sort of beautiful black-white and pictures, but that's kind of it. Yeah, the stories didn't really get passed down too far in my family. There was a little weird feeling of like, "Ah, maybe someone's kind of fucking with me, but it was way more interesting to imagine someone had a relative that died, like their grandfather died. And maybe his grandkids are like going through his room and they find this postcard made out to Rachel Prince and then realize their grandfather this romance with someone they never met and then sent it to me thinking that I was maybe a 95-year-old lady living in this building in the West Village. But then you're kind of like, wouldn't they actually make the effort to like put some contact information on there and not just send the postcard unexplained with like no
3: way to reply? Yes, I totally had a moment where I knew I was in love with him. So the hallway of the building needed to be retiled. And I was asking my friends at the theater where I was performing if anyone knew of anyone who was good at repairing things. And so Aaron, um, he said, oh, I can do that. And I was like, dude, you're like an actor. You know, I I want like a guy who can tile. And he was like, no, 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 I can tile, I can tile. And I was like, whatever, like you're my friend and then like if you're not good at it it's going to be weird. But he convinced me that I should hire him to do this tiling job. I think it was like two or three days we were doing this in a row and you know and he, it was hot, it was the summer and he just he took his shirt off one night and like we're just tiling and I don't know like there was something about like this man with his shirt off tiling in my hallway and like making sure all the you know tiles are perfectly aligned and It was, it was very overwhelming. (laughs) I think he stayed over that night and, and that was it. When we were together. But yeah, I mean, if the tiles need to be replaced someday, like, I think that would be really hard for me.
0: Okay, so um, the second piece of mail arrived in pretty quick succession. I think it came within like six weeks. I was home, checked the mail, opened up the box, uh, was in an envelope with just my name handwritten again, Miss Rachel Prince. It's like, okay, this is a thing now. I remember just tearing it open in the lobby, not even being able to go up into my apartment, like, what's going on? And uh, it's a super cute retro card with a man and a woman canoodling in front of a big heart. And it just says, Valentine greetings. It's still 1938, but it's February 14th, of course. Dearest Rachel, Valentine's Day today.
1: The city city is filled filled with with couples. Arm in arm, smiling and full of love. It's difficult to be happy when the one I love is gone. I can't stop thinking of last summer. It seems so far away now. I'm so miserable and lonely without you. Everyone else's happiness, especially today, seems to be a personal offense. I know they don't mean it that way, but it's hard not to watch. I can't forget all the things you told me about. Portable telephones able to fit in a
0: pocket that also have music and hold Books. It sounds a little like what is that? It sounds a little bit sounds a little bit
1: like a tale out of amazing stories. Are you there now? I wish I could be there with you. Thinking of you always. um
0: So the plot's thickening and it's getting weirder too. And almost there's this moment of being like, wait, is do. Is this, did I actually visit the past for a minute?
3: So Aaron and I are both actors, and we worked at this little theater together a lot. And I wrote my first play called Suspicious Package, and I cast him as my lead voiceover actor in the show. Um, and I was rewriting, and so I would make him record things, and then I would Try to lay it out in the piece, and then I would realize I needed something else. And then I would write that, and then I would wake him up, because I was doing these all nighters getting this thing done. And I would be like, just record this, record this. And he's like, which voice is it? Is it the producer or the detective? And I was like, the producer, the producer. And he was like, okay. And then he would do it. Like, I've woken him up. He's so patient, the most patient man woke him up in the middle of the night, read it perfectly, go back to sleep, and then like 45 minutes later, I'd be like, okay, okay, uh, wake up, wake up. I need you to read this line. I need you to be the detective, and you need to read this. And he he would wake up, and he would, and again, like first take, nail it out of the park, and, and then roll over and go back to bed. The show did so well, we decided to do a sequel the following year, and he co-wrote that with me. And uh, that also crazily got this amazing New York Times review. And uh, so we were selling out and selling out and selling out and uh, extended and extended and extended.
0: There was no fucking way to track the letter. Like, there's no return address. I remember even looking at, like, the stamp and it just said Brooklyn. It didn't even say which post office in Brooklyn. There was no tear in the veneer. Like, I just didn't even know where to start. And then I was like... Like go to the police, you know, maybe the cops will be able to figure this out and like dust it for fingerprints or something, which is absurd. like they don't have better things to do, right? But, like I got a Valentine from nineteen thirty eight and I really want to know who it's from. like it's just not happening.
3: I came home and and he he was just here on the right there on the living room floor, and he knelt down and he had in his palm this this diamond, <laughs> and he was like. Here's the diamond, but I have this other ring you can wear in the meantime, you know. So, will you marry me? And it was so sweet.
0: So you would think that I would be highly suspicious of my, like, new boyfriend, Ben. Except the thing about Ben is that he's a man of science. He's this, like, very practical Canadian lumberjack geologist. He just, like, barely scrawls my handwritten notes, and they're always just, like, be back after work. Love ya. Right. Like I just literally was never suspicious of him.
3: So many decisions when you get married. Oh, it's just this endless, like what color napkins? What you're like, I don't, it doesn't matter. You know, is there a beach? Is it going to be gorgeous? It's going to be, you know, 75 degrees and sunset. Like I'm, I'm sure it will be fine, you know, but, uh, We didn't do engagement photos because we both thought those were really cheesy. And we were going to have wedding photos, so it's like one of those regrets.
0: August 5th, 1938. Dearest Rachel, I feel compelled to keep writing. writing.
1: Though this is starting to make me question my sanity. Was this all a dream? I obviously can't tell anyone what you said about time travel and all that. It was so easy to believe you when we were together, but now that you're gone, it makes me fear you were never here at all. If it weren't for Shirley, I'd think I'd check myself into a loony bin. And yet some of the things you said are starting to come true. Things are looking bad in Germany. Shirley's doing well. She's a lovely baby. She's starting to roll over and to sit up on her own, and reminds me of you every time she smiles. I'll try to enclose a picture in my next letter. We both miss you so. Love always. M. P.S. We're having a heat wave. 93 degrees yesterday. We slept in the fire escape, but some folks have even taken to sleeping on the beach at Coney Island. They had to add extra cops to patrol the area. Can you believe it?
0: By the time I received the third letter, I was getting ready for a big move, um, the move from New York to South Africa. Ben and I had decided to move together. He had a job offer in South Africa, and I decided to tag along. I didn't decide. He invited me, asked me, begged me to come with him, and I didn't want to do long distance anymore. So I was keen for the adventure. But this was when I realized I was gonna have to change my address. And I was like, oh no, like what's gonna ha-? like?" I was getting stressed out about losing the story. I was getting stressed out, but I think there was some part of it that was connected to me leaving New York. Like if I leave New York, the city just goes on without me, but I'm not totally comfortable with that. Like if I leave New York, do I just disappear?
3: So my father had wanted us to come up and visit him for the weekend. So I arranged to get an understudy. So I went up to visit my dad on Thursday. Um, And Aaron couldn't get Friday off of work. So he was going to come up first thing in the morning, Saturday. He was going to be on the very, very first train. And then Friday, I didn't hear from him at all, which was weird. But, you know, sometimes he would get really, really busy at work. And then the next morning, uh, I was texting him and like, you know, are you on the train? Like, and he didn't respond to any of those messages either. And I tried calling a few times too, and no response, but he was the kind of guy who, you know, goes in the quiet car and turns his cell phone off. So I'm like, you know, he's probably just on the quiet car. I don't know. I was just rationalizing all of the strangeness. So the train came and it was the last stop on the train and he didn't come off the train. He was never late to meet me once in our entire relationship. So I knew something was very wrong at that point. I was definitely feeling very ill.
1: March 10th, 1939. Dear one, enclosed is the picture I promised. It really doesn't do her justice. Shirley is the sweetest child. Each and every day she reminds me of you in some new way. The
0: way she sleeps at the night. There's a growing sense of unease. You wonder, like, am I being watched? Like, I don't know what this person looks like, but maybe they know what I look like. Could I be the only person getting these letters? And if so, why? Like, why is someone directing all of this energy at me? There is a little fear realizing it's not just something to make you smile and feel happy for a minute, but clearly there's a story that's going somewhere and you have to be part of it whether you like it or not.
3: Um, so at this point, one of the actors in our show, uh, his name is Art, was planning on Swinging by our apartment, and he had a set of keys to pick up props for the show that day. So I was on the phone with Art, and I was like, "I haven't heard from him, Art. Like, I I think something's wrong. I think something's wrong." And he was like, "I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm just coming up to your apartment now. It's fine. It's fine." So he opens the door, and he's like, "Oh, his stuff's here. His shoes are here. Like, he's totally here. Like, it's you know, he missed the train. No big deal." And I was like, "Art, I, he didn't miss the train. Will you check on him?" And Art like opened, I guess, opened the door of the bedroom and was like, "Oh." oh, he doesn't look okay. And I was like, oh, call 911, call 911, and hung up with him, and he called 911, and and I I guess he must have called back. I, I don't really remember a lot after that, to be honest with you. I knew he was dead at that point. I mean, I just knew. I don't remember crying very much. I just remember like just, it was just shocking. Like I I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that like, you know, the last time I talked to this guy, we were talking about like, oh, this is like the worst. So I had an ovulation app on my phone and um, we wanted to have kids. So literally the last conversation I had with him was um, I looked at my, my ovulation app and the wedding was a month away. So I was like, oh, oh baby, like I you know, I'm going to be ovulating, like, on our wedding night. I know we wanted to have kids, but, like, did we want to have kids, like, next month? And he was like, isn't that the whole point of, of you know, your wedding night? And, like, he, like, he had this cute little smile, and I was like, okay, like, I guess we're going to do this. And And then I went to bed, and I never spoke to him again. I went from talking to my fiancé about our starting a family to— there's no wedding. Like, he's dead. Like, I, my show is canceled. Like, I, I mean, like, I, nothing. My whole life was just ripped. Ripped very violently away from me in, like, five minutes on one phone call. Um, I couldn't eat. I didn't eat f- anything for, like, probably three weeks. I mean, I had, like, little bites of things, but I couldn't keep any food down. I wasn't hungry at all. Um, so, you know, I, like, I, but I would drink bourbon. <laughs> I could eat shumai for some reason. Those little shrimp dumplings, like, didn't upset my stomach. So I was able to eat those. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't work for, like, oh God, like, three months, I guess, at least. Yeah. I mean, I, could, I was not, I couldn't function. Like, I, I just, like, cried all the time. <laughs> it was like... A mess. It was awful. It was, like, so awful.
0: (laughs) By now, I knew that I was leaving my apartment for sure. And uh, plane tickets had been booked for South Africa. And I'd filed my address change. And obviously, I'd gone down to the post office to just, like, triple-double confirm that everything was going to be forwarded to my permanent address, my, like, post box upstate I'd spoken to my mom who had promised to be like checking my mail and opening it for anything important. Like everyone had been briefed that this thing hopefully would show up in its new home. Um, but it never did. It was like, well, it was good while well, it lasted. and Now I'm moving on and there's no way the story is going to continue.
3: He was reading when he died and there was a, a ribbon that he had as a bookmark. And um, a few months ago, uh, the book got kicked or moved or something and the bookmark fell out. And um, it was devastating because now I don't know where he was in the book. And um, I don't know, that's, it's like a loss to me that like, I don't, I don't know if he was on page. I mean, it was somewhere in the middle, but I don't know if it was a page 150 or, you know, 175, and, you know, it's such a small thing, but not having that knowledge anymore is really profoundly sad. The finality of it is pretty rough. Pretty
0: rough. It was crazy, like, settling in in South Africa, just, like, a completely different experience. And then... About nine months later, I came back for my first visit home, and my mom had a stack of mail for me. And she's like, okay, there's something really important from the IRS, and also you need to renew your driver's license, and I think your great aunt sent you like another check. And in the stack of mail was a letter.
1: December 14th, 1941. Dear Rachel, I can't do this anymore. A lover from the future, who miraculously travels to 1936? Absurd. Why did I ever believe you? Clearly, you were only the inventor of fantastical stories, not a time traveler. I don't know why I've wasted so much time writing to you, carefully putting these letters aside. How could I ever have thought that they would ever arrive in, what, 75 years from now? I still miss you every day but I'm so angry. Angry at you for leaving me. Angry at you for showing up in the first place. Everything would be so much better if we never met, except for Shirley. I need to move forward with my life. For me, but most importantly for her. She needs a mother, and I've met someone who loves me and her. And she wants to take care of us and give Shirley the family she so desperately needs. I'm sorry, but I can't write to you any longer. I can't keep holding on to a ghost. Ma'am.
0: This is like the most dramatic breakup letter I've ever gotten, and it's not even really for me, and it's not even from a real person. But I remember being like, like appalled, feeling super responsible. Like, oh my God, I really hurt someone. It does seem very cold and like mean and angry. And you're like, what? But I but I was this person's everything, and now just nothing, and he's moving on. It's obviously the last letter. I am getting cut off. It's over. And with the change in tone, I sort of had this little feeling of like, okay, I think I know where this is coming from. I think it's this guy that I used to date. It was definitely not a happy parting. A lot of words were exchanged, all digital words, never handwritten. He was mad. He, yeah, he was upset. He thought I didn't exit in a very compassionate way. He thought I was cold and uh, abrupt and was forever angry that I wouldn't just use the telephone to talk. Yeah, it was messy. I made the decision to reach out to him. I texted him, How's Shirley?
3: Um, I had spent the last, you know, four years being an artist with Aaron, and um, gosh, I just felt like I had so much to say to him. Like I wanted to say, and um, I, I, so desperately wanted to communicate with him. I, de- I just had a vision of of getting a linen postcard, you know, slightly yellowed with this handwritten text on the back from the past. My vision of it was from Coney Island from the beginning.
0: He texted me back and said, I think I know what this is about. He's like, it's this gift. It's this art project that my friend is doing. Uh, My friend Gita is sending these letters to strangers. I decided to buy it for you. Hope you enjoyed it. And I wish you well. He's like, I bought the gift for you because I knew, knowing Gita, that it was going to be beautiful, but also that it wasn't going to have a happy ending.
3: you know, I, I still wonder what happened because his heart stopped, but like, was he having chest pains the previous day and like, didn't go into the doctor? You know, I was out of town, so I don't have any information. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I don't know. And I, f- I feel really abandoned by him, you know? And like, I know it's like not his fault, but like, still like I, I do, I just, I, I feel betrayed. I feel like he left me here and, it makes me so upset. It just makes me so angry. I feel like the letters were a way for me to, you know, put some of that down somewhere. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. And it's funny because all the, everyone I know says like, you know, that's really experienced the loss. They say like, you know, you never really get over it. Like you just learn how to deal with it better. So, still so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely not over it. I'm just, just dealing with it better.
2: That's it for Love and Radio. Gita Arbor sent this series of letters to over 150 people, including Rachel. She's been sending them out since 2012, and will be completing M's story in the next few months. You can find a link to her site and photos of some of the letters at lovinradio.org. This story was produced by Sruthi Pinnamaneni and Brendan Baker, with production assistance from Paulus Van Horn. Special thanks also to Miriam Sitz and Karen Duffin. You can hear more of Sruthi's work at the Reply All podcast where she's a producer. Look for it at replyall.limo or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. M's letters were read by Nate DeMeo from the podcast The Memory Palace. Visit radiotopia.fm for links to the Memory Palace and all the other fine Radiotopia shows. Radiotopia's founding sponsors are the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. And be sure to sign up for our mailing list. It's at loveandradio.org. Thanks for listening.